Okay, today's reading is John chapter 18. In this chapter that I hope you have already read, Judas carries out his betrayal of Jesus, uh, who is here arrested and uh, very cruelly and unfairly tried by sinful men. Also in this chapter, Peter denies Jesus three times, and the mob demands that Barabbas the robber and murderer be released instead of Jesus. So let's just uh, consider uh, two or three things that we find in this chapter. Um, and the first thing is this. So many times we have encountered in John's gospel Jesus ascribing to himself the divine name of I am. And uh, recall again that this is the name by which the Lord revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, and it's been at the forefront of John's attentions to emphasize maximally the full deity of Jesus Christ. And one of the main methods has been repeatedly to link the divine name, that I am divine name, with Jesus. And here in chapter 18, we encounter um, what appears to be the last of those instances in John's gospel. We find it in verse 5. Uh, in the early verses of the chapter, we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane praying with his disciples, uh, during which Judas approaches with the band of soldiers he had already secured to carry out his betrayal. That's verse 3. And then Judas, the officers, and the soldiers approach Jesus uh, in verse 4. Uh, who, and Jesus asked them who whom they are seeking. And the soldiers declare that they are seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answers them in a noteworthy fashion. Our English translations somewhat obscure what Jesus actually says. Most translate Jesus in verse 5 saying, I am he. In fact, in the Greek text, Jesus simply declares, I am. In this way, Jesus not only identified himself as the one they were looking for, but he identified himself as the Lord God himself. And this explains, too, John's explanation of the fact that when he spoke these words, it says in verse 6, they drew back and fell to the ground. For a very real moment there, the arresting officers felt the overwhelming power of his divine presence. They came seeking his name, but they found themselves involuntarily at his feet. A, a brief foretaste of that day when he comes again in his glory, and it's as we're told in Philippians uh, 2 and as well as uh, Isaiah 45, that every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And as Isaiah 45 says, on that day, even all who were incensed against him in this life will in the next bow and be ashamed. So John 18.5 is Jesus and John's final declaration of the fact that the one being arrested and the one who would endure an undeserved judgment at the hands of sinful men is none other than God himself in human flesh bearing our shame. Let's next think about uh, Peter's denial of the Lord. Um, the other main event highlighted in this chapter is, is Peter's threefold denial. And um, we've seen this in all the other Gospels as well. And we mention it here not only because um, it's so prominent in the chapter, but also because it's so instructive to us with regard to our growth in maturity as a Christian. Here we have one of Jesus' own disciples, in fact, one of his closest disciples, who had been privy to, that, to things that many of the other disciples had not. I mean, just most notably the transfiguration of Jesus and we find him denying outright three times that he knows Jesus at all 
And it's worth noting that each of his denials was motivated by a love of self that manifested itself in a fear of man and self-preservation at all costs. In the first instance, uh, in verses 16 and 17, Peter was frightened by the question of a little servant girl into denying knowing Jesus. By the second instance, in verse 25, uh, it seems that more people were gathered around that, and, and that elicited another denial. Uh, the other Gospels indicate that this denial was given more forcefully. See, for example, Matthew 26, verse 72. And then the third instance, by the third instance, in verse 27, Peter was apparently pressed by a relative of the soldier Malchus, remember, whose ear had been cut off during the rest, verse 10. Perhaps this time Peter really felt in danger because this relative might know more than the others who had questioned him. And in his fear, he denied Jesus a third time. And Matthew notes in Matthew 26, 74, that by this time he was denying Jesus with cursing. All this just goes to show that our salvation is, it needs to be viewed from three perspectives. And you really, even no matter how many times you've heard this, you've heard it for good reason. We have to view our salvation from three perspectives. One, we have been saved, past tense. We are being saved, present. And we will be saved, future. Peter had put his faith in Jesus as his Lord and as, as his Savior. And Jesus had just prayed, acknowledging this, back in John 17, verses 6 through 8. Uh, Peter had already been saved from the penalty of his sin. But in his present experience, he had not yet been fully delivered from the power of sin and so his love of self and fear of man still at times overpowered and exceeded his love for God and fear of God and this sinful lapse caused him to deny even knowing the Lord not once or twice but three times in the span of one night and the conviction of the Holy Spirit was still present in his life because Matthew notes that at this third denial Peter wept bitterly that's in Matthew twenty six seventy five. so we are completely free from the penalty of sin, Romans 8, 1, for example. And we are being progressively freed from the power of sin, 1 Corinthians 1, 18. But we still await the day surely coming in which we will be freed from the very presence of sin, see 1 John 3, 2. And finally, the great grace of the gospel. The last thing I would note about this chapter is seen when we sort of step back a step or two from the chapter and take an an aerial sort of view of it look at the big picture in other words of what's going on the big picture in this chapter is this jesus the one who did no wrong undergoing an undeserved judgment for us who have done wrong and do deserve it that's the great grace of the gospel jesus has taken our sin and our guilt upon himself and he has been judged for it all the wrath of god against our sin and our rebellion has been poured out on him in full. And there's not one drop of wrath or condemnation left for us who trust in Jesus' atonement for us. Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath entirely. It is, it is as if the wrath of God was coming at you like a mighty rushing flood of water. And just before it gets to you, the ground in front of you opens up and swallows every drop of the flood that was sure to sweep you away and take your life with it. The, the ground before you swallows it so completely that you don't even feel 
the mist of its spray. This is the agony that Jesus endured. The righteous for the unrighteous. That's 1 Peter 3.18. That is grace. One of the old Baptist confessions of faith, the second London Baptist confession says, although there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, yet there is no sin so great that it shall bring damnation on them that repent. Praise the Lord. And those are some thoughts from John chapter 18.